5 in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Hello and welcome to the latest edition of 5 in the Eye on Colourful Radio. It's episode 0311 and I'm Phil Woodford in London. And joining Phil via Zoom this week, it's me, Michael O'Hajura, and I can reveal our top story this week is, is going to be the report by the Commons Education Select Committee, which claimed poor white working class kids were being left behind by our school system. Five in the eye. And for story number two, we look at the ongoing divisions in America through the prism of COVID on the one hand and religion on the other. And our third story this week, we focus on electric cars. They seem to be, they seem to be very much of the future. But firefighters are alarmed. Houston crews recently spent seven hours, seven hours, and an astonishing 28,000 gallons of water to extinguish a blazing Tesla Model S. What's story number four? Well, the EU appears to be worried about the dominance of British TV shows on continental channels. They're busy setting quotas for the amount of European content that's available to viewers. Ooh la la. Lala with an English accent. I like that, Phil. <laughs> I'm fine this week to wrap up the show. Youngsters have found an ingenious way of avoiding the Pfizer jab, giving them an army, and it involves windmills. I've told you, told you, Michael, you're too old for this. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Five in the Eye. We're, we're going to kick off this week with a story that, I have to be honest with you, Phil, it outraged me. The headline was just... Well, uh, what poorer white pupils let down and neglected, say MPs. Poorer white pupils let down and neglected. This is the old, the white working class, the downtrodden, the left behind. No one's interested in them. And they really laid it on thick. And Phil, this story is nonsense. What it's about, it's about the neglect that the Tories... It's the neglect, the austerity has given to those our coastal towns, our neglected towns, the Featherstons, the Scunthorpes, the, the Folkestons, where, where, where the kids there are not getting the education that they, they need. But then their parents didn't get it. Their parents haven't got jobs, they haven't got the incentive to drive them forward. There's a there's a malaise, there's an apathy in these these these, these towns. And that's reflected in the education system. Even to the point, I read one report, that the kind of people who want to go and teach in these towns, they're not the centers of cultural um, interaction that one would like if you're a young teacher. You know, they'd rather come to London, where there's literally a lot more going on. So this, this story is not about white versus black. It's about working class, neglected, poor people. And it's, it's black and white in these poor these towns which are suffering. And it's just outrageous that this government should use this as a point of division. It seemed to me, it seemed to me, Michael, that part of the agenda here was to get into the news this whole concept of white privilege and it was a chance for the government to rail against this this concept well not the government in this case Tory MPs uh, representing the government on the uh, effectively on the education select committee um, because you know the, the, the case they're trying to make through the media 
is that, well, how can you talk about white privilege when some of the people who perform the worst in the school system are actually the very poorest white people? And it's an attack, isn't it, on what is perceived as, it's, it's part of these culture wars again, uh, what's perceived as the kind of uh, woke liberal culture that the Tories believe now pervades our national institutions. It all seems to me to be very, very transparently set up for that agenda. 100% Phil. When you look at the statistics, this is a, the percent, this is the government's own statistics. Percentage of pupils getting a grade five or above in English and maths GCSE by ethnicity. And guess what? 49.9% of kids regardless of ethnicity, get that grade five or above. Half come out at a grade that we deem acceptable, regardless of ethnicity. And if you look at the white kids, the white kids here, it's 49.1%. You know, we're splitting hairs here. Half of, half of the white kids make it. If you look at the black kids, it's 41%. You know, so what, what, you know, what are we doing about that? Yeah, I mean... We're not yeah. making headlines there, are we? But, and, and, and that for me is, the headline is the fact that we are failing a group of people in our society. I suppose that, you know, I mean, you know, if we take, I, I'm very much of, you know, I, I share your cynicism about this whole report, Michael, and I see it as being pushing a particular political agenda. Um, and and, and it, it's, it's kind of that, you know, uh, it's appealing to that kind of what I describe as the the, the red wall um, voters that the Tories have been trying to attract and and, and retain. Um, but you know, I suppose ostensibly the argument is this: if you take a threshold of particular level of poverty, and that might be, for instance, people who have access to free school meals because of how poor they are, um, kids from um, some ethnic minority backgrounds with at the same level of poverty are doing better than white kids. And so then the argument will be there's the, there's some explanation for that. Now, your argument is maybe these white kids are in these kind of hinterland Absolutely. areas. And you're, you're saying that teacher, you're saying the teachers aren't good enough in these not, schools. Not, 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 not good enough, but they're not attractive. There's, there's a Malay, there's a Malay, there's a, there's a, Coming together of things, not just the teachers, it's the, it's, it's the parents, maybe even the grandparents, they've never seen the benefit of education, not seen the rewards it can give, in, in, in contrast to those in the city, particularly London, particularly London, where they can see how education can make a difference. Education gives you choices. But, but these, these, these folks in these, these hinterlands, hinterland towns, you call them, They've lost that kind of, you know, that energy, that desire. They've been, they're exhausted because the, 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 things like, remember, there was, a, there was a thing called Sure Start. This was to help poorer families. Yeah. To get a, 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 the Labour government with, with, with Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. Bring it them. on, bring it on. And they were helping families, young families, single parents, to, 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 to bring up their children a little bit better to create some kind of community spirit, people could share ideas, best practices and that kind of thing. 
guess what? Cut under austerity. Mm -hmm. They're now trying to bring it up with hub family hubs or some such thing that the government, the, the Tories are trying to bring it back. But in effect, you know, a big statement film, they destroyed the family through that, that sure start. But but then you're talking about it's a generational thing. That's why education, you pass it on to your kids, you know, the benefits that, that, that come from education, that, you know, that, that, that you can do better, you can have choices in your life. I mean, these kids, they're living in, in, in homes where maybe two or three, I was going to say, the first of generation, well, they've never been to university or they're the first or they're, they're trying to be the first. And that, that I mean, if we if, if, if we look though, you know, you had up on uh, on our screen just a minute ago stats for the different um, ethnic uh, groups' achievements at English and maths. I mean, there are some really noticeable uh, differences, though, aren't there? For instance, um, ch the, the Chinese community, 79.6% uh, of kids from the Chinese community are getting grade five or above in English and math. 70.4% of the kids in the Indian community are. And so there are issues to do with culture here, aren't there? And these yeah, are difficult things to discuss but, because but we're, it's, 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 these are, sensitive, just, these are quite family. sensitive issues, but you can't I'm, ignore the fact that I it's would, there. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry for talking over you there, Phil, but I'm, I'm not sensitive, but there are families, that, because these families are pushing their children. They're making their children work hard. And some of these, some families, I would argue, maybe they've given up. There's no point. The kind of job you're going to get, the kind of life you're going to have, well, this is as good as it gets. They're aspirational. The aspiration that is still in some ethnicity, ethnic groups, is not in all. Uh, that, that's a big statement. But you look at you look at though you've just you've given some stats there in terms of comparing the Chinese, and if you compare that to the G Gypsy Roma, eight point eight point one percent, eight point one percent of them of their kids get a G GCS five, uh, grade five or above. Now, what's the government doing about that? Addressing yeah, those? Yeah, yeah, because that, that's, a, that's a shocking. <laughs> the, the, the figures for Irish travellers are, are also very, very low. And you'd think that if you were really concerned about people who are the most left behind, you'd be looking at these groups, wouldn't you? Um, and yet, the, 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 the um, I keep saying the government, because I see this as the government's agenda. But the Tory MPs on the Education Select Committee, of course, are focusing on white working class kids, aren't they? Because they see the political capital in it, the political mileage in it. So um, I think the message here from, from Five in the Eye is we are a little bit cynical about the, the views totally. of the, the, the Education Select Committee. And this is quite a lot more complicated than the headlines in the newspapers might lead us to believe. Five in the eye. Story number two this week is about the United States. And um, we wanted to talk about the divisions that exist within the states. Uh, uh, I mean, we've talked before, of course, you know, about the... The, the, the terrible divisions that historically have been wrought by racism, but also we've talked about uh, the Trump versus uh, Democrat divide. Today, there's a couple of different concepts that we wanted just to touch upon. The first is COVID. 
Because what's happening in America is that um, the Delta variant's on the rise there as well. It's not as prevalent as here, but about a third of the cases of COVID are Delta in the state. The problem is their vaccination program has really, really slowed down. And they've only got about 45% of the population double vaccinated. And there's, there are wide disparities in terms of who's getting vaccinated and where. So there are some states where vaccination levels are a lot lower, somewhere they're a lot higher. It's, it's also true to say that Republican voters um, are much more vaccine skeptic and Democrats are much more likely to get vaccinated. And we know that the Democrats tend to be on the East and West Coast and the Republicans in the main body of America. So there's this danger that potentially two Americas arises through the COVID pandemic. But then there's another interesting division we wanted to talk about, which you brought to my attention, Michael. Um, Religion. Joe Biden is a Roman Catholic, and he has um, taken a fairly liberal view on issues like abortion. But the Roman Catholic Church, or some bishops within the Roman Catholic Church, are threatening that uh, Biden may not be allowed to take communion in the Catholic Church. Um, And that shows a kind of worrying schism in American society as well, because Catholicism historically was not very well represented in American government. JFK was the first Catholic president. Biden's the the only president since then to be a practicing Catholic. Um, And... um, and, and you have the Catholic Church now trying to exert power over Biden. So two very different um, divisions, but um, just two further fault lines down the middle of America, Michael. Phil, you know, America. You know, my heart goes out to it. I don't know. I don't know where America's going. You know, this polarization. Um, along essentially along party lines, about right, right and left, liberal versus uh, uh, libertine. It's just, it's just so stark, and and literally so painful and deadly in the in the in the, in the sense in the case of the of the the COVID, because you've got them that this idea of freedom. You're free. You're you're right not to wear a mask. You're right not to have the vaccine. This this you know the, the, the fact that you with, with with those freedoms come responsibilities. That's that's it, it's not on the agenda for these people. I mean these 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 are predominantly Republicans who take this view, and it just seems to me sad that they can't look at the the, the their fellow man in terms of what they're doing to their the country as a whole rather than their their right to be whoever what it is you know this right to not have the um the jab not with a mask right to bear arms right to have an abortion and not think of the consequences and this idea of a catholic being denied mass so you've got to have a the thought police going to check you up before you before you're allowed to come to have mass and have communion you know, they're going to a very dark place. I was quite surprised in in, in reading uh, in advance of our discussion about this religious uh, pressure on Biden. I was quite shocked to discover that six of the nine Supreme Court justices are Roman Catholics. I mean, this is this is hugely significant. Now, I mean, I was I was raised as a 
as a Roman Catholic. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a practicing. I'm not a practicing Catholic, um, but uh, I, I find it quite astonishing that a society in which just a few generations ago Catholicism was actually um, was slightly alienated from the mainstream of politics is now right in the heart of it, and the. These judges will have a bit on abortion law, won't they? Because historically in America, the Supreme Court, there was a, there's a classic judgment from the early 1970s, Roe versus Wade, which um, entrenched abortion rights. And that has been a target for the anti-abortionists ever since. Um, these judges are going to have a say over all the development mm-hmm. of this kind of policy in the years ahead. Did it surprise you that there's such large Catholic representation on the Supreme Court? No, no. The, the one that Trump pushed through, I remember she was a woman. I, I saw it that stage. She, she was a woman because he wants to get a young woman on there, but she's also a Catholic. And she believed that the man is the head of the household, thereby God. The, you know, this is this is that God is part of it. Now, okay, she's a, she's a Catholic, she she believes she has some, some faith, have to respect her for that. But I think we're a modern, I was gonna say a modern, well, we used to be a modern democracy, and we, it was a nation governed by laws not by people, but they seem to be a, a nation governed by gods. Oh, God, not by laws. And I find it deeply depressing. I used to be, I used to worry about it, but I'm through that now after the elected Trump. But it's depressing in the sense that America has gone to a place where everything is binary. Either with us or against us, either you're, you're um, you're for, our, you're for the Constitution or against the Constitution. And these are very narrow interpretations. They have this thing called the, the Federalists, where, where, where they interpret the Constitution literally. And, and, and they're literally trapped in a, in a time bubble and, and from the 18th century. And just, just one small, maybe flippant film, but I, I think it, 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 it's, it's the case. This right to bear arms and this, uh, the, the right to have an assault weapon that can fight, can fight mm. hundreds of rounds a second, something normally killing power. But when, when that rule first came out, it took you minutes to load one bullet. So the idea that yeah. the killing power that we have now in an assault weapon, and the assault is on, it's constitutional, your, your, your constitutional right to have an assault weapon that can kill thousands of people in seconds. Why would you want to kill thousands of people in seconds? You know, it's just, I was, so America, in terms of the way it in, interprets its constitution and the way it react, the way, the way it assembles itself now, and and says this is my right, without any responsibilities and any relationship to one from, from one to another. I don't know. I I I, 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 I just I'm just exhausted by it all. Phil, move on in my sense. America. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think America you know, will we, we, be. We, yeah, and I think you know uh, clearly Biden's done a good when it, coming back to the pandemic just for a second. Um, Biden's done a good job at trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible. He picked up the ruins of the Trump administration where they 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 dismissed COVID and and it uh, led to a terrible death toll. Biden's done his best, but we've reached a kind of point now where. Um, it's almost very difficult to 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 um, get uh, get to the hard to reach communities, and the anti vax um, the anti vax mo- uh, momentum is pretty strong out there. So it worries me about where America's going in the next few months with 
the COVID. We'll have to watch that one and maybe come back to it. Five in the eye. Story number three was a shock to me. It's um about electric cars, electric car fires. And I used the word shock. That, that, that was supposed to be a, a joke there, Phil, but obviously <laughs> it fell on deaf ears. Definitely is. Electric cars and shock. But the fact that it takes so much water to put out. Now, I have no idea how much water it takes to put out a fire, but let me bring you this to what we're kind of putting in start relief. To pull out a not to pull a normal petrol driven petrol car fire, it takes 300 gallons. 300 gallons. It sounds like a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. But to, to pull out one of these electric car fires, it's 28,000 gallons. <laughs> Crazy. And, 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 and there was this fire department in Houston, wasn't there, that went to one of these. Um, it, it, it was a Tesla car that had caught fire. And so what happened is that the, the, the guys, they extinguished the fire and it reignites and they extinguished it again and it reignites again. And they're thinking, hold on a second, what's going on here? And it took 28,000 gallons. It took um, seven firemen, seven seven or eight firemen and, and crews to, to to bring it under control. What on earth is going to happen when this technology becomes more widespread, Michael? This is a kind of we we know, don't we, that there's a lot of pressure to move towards these electric vehicles. We've seen a lot of it going on, but um, this is a hidden aspect of it that I'd never seen reported. No, no, I hadn't. But then you know we. You used to have stories of, of um, mobile phones blowing up, and you won't be allowed on the train on, on the on train on the train on the plane with certain mobile mobile phones because they were prone prone to blow up because their batteries were unstable. So we know that the lithium battery is 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 an issue. It's just that we've we've got so 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 they're so big now. You know these batteries are so powerful. You can get enough enough energy in these batteries for the family for two and a half days to power to power the house for two and a half days. A lot of energy, and once that goes up, it has to go somewhere. It has to go somewhere. So this, I guess, this is something that people are going to be have, going to have to look at or, or fire stuff. I'm sure they're doing it already, looking at ways to manage these to manage these fires in terms of uh, how we put them out. Because it just puts another question mark over electric cars in the sense that is are they going to happen anytime soon? And, and, and I'm a bit of a cynic in terms of there's two, there's, the infrastructure is still not there. You know, I can't plug one in, in outside my house here in, in Abbey Wood. I guess you leafy suburb with your own yeah, driveway I mean, they, they, can I mean, plug I'll be, one I'll in. I'll be honest with you, reporting live from the leafy suburbs, I mean, there is more evidence of, of, of charging points in the last two or three years. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's on the up, clearly, without being a huge thing. You can see that it's gradually increasing, but I don't think it's hugely representative of uh, London as a whole or the, or the country as a whole. And you know, that, you know, obviously, to make it really convenient, you do need the charging point really outside your house, don't you? And I do see some of those as well, but um, not a lot. Um, and, and you've got to make the initial investment in the electric vehicle, haven't you? Which is which is a leap which, which is a non-trivial, non-trivial. Where I think it lost it for me in electric vehicles was a. You know, you've got these little small people carriers now in terms of in, in place of, uh, kind of invalid carriages and wheelchairs. People got motorized wheelchairs. There's I saw a, the, there was a block of flats 
And obviously the person who had who lived on the top floor of this flat had one of these motorized vehicles. And to charge it, you know what they did? They had a, they'd slung a, a, a lead up from the top floor, <laughs> the fourth or fifth floor, down to the ground floor to plug this thing in. So people are trying to make shift. So if, if you had a car, come on, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's not going to work. So electric car, yes, I want to save the planet, but we've got to get be realistic in terms of the physicality of it. And then when you layer on the distance you can get from these, or the cost of getting the extra distance, it's just enormous. You want you want to get some distance in it. So it's got too many drawbacks for him. And I'll tell you, Phil, the biggest drawback for me is these things are so quiet. Mm. You know, I've been I, I, the first my, my, my introduction, my first introduction to electric car was almost being run down by one in uh, in Cornwall. This thing was creeping around the, the back, the, creeping around the lanes of Cornwall, leafy, beautiful, quiet, leafy lanes. You couldn't hear the thing. Suddenly, it's on top of you. Michael, and, you, you know, must always remember your Green Cross code. Yeah, look, left, listen, look I'm right. in the countryside. I'm walking on, you know, I've got right away. It just, it occurred to me, these things are, you've got to make some noise, mate. You've got to make some, you need some, you know, to let pedestrians know that you're around. Yeah, well, the same the same goes, of course, for the electric scooters, which um, have been being trialled in some London boroughs at the moment. And I know that the fact that they're silent is a big problem. For instance, people who are visually impaired or blind, um, and they they can't hear them. Did you know that the only legal scooter on the road are those licensed by the, that you hire from the the council? Yeah. Every other one is illegal. You only can use it on private land with the landowner's permission. So mm, I see them. Mm. I saw, saw one the other day. He had a seat on it, a scooter with the seat. And it was virtually it's a like moped. Well, a souped-up scooter, a bling scooter. It, it was outrageous. So no, I'm, I must admit, I'm. I'm um, well, they, 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 they were lauding these things. Very successful in Bristol. They're introducing it in London. Boroughs across London are introducing them. It's supposed to be great for you know, cutting down travel, but I'm sorry. Uh, they just seem so dangerous to me. They do. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you know my method of travel, Michael. Shanks's pony. Bring it and on. The, and the tube where necessary. Oh, oh the, the tube. Now, there's a thing now. In, the tube in pandemic times. Not a place to be. Not a place to be. In fact, let me ask you, Phil, have you been in the tube recently? Once or twice. I mean, I'm, I'm not travelling a lot, although I'm going to be doing a bit more travelling for work soon. Um, there, There is actually some face-to-face work coming back. Oh my you believe God. that, Michael? Is, is that your doing... choice or their choice? Um, yeah, choice of my, my my clients actually that they they want to they, they want me to come into their offices rather than than, than run training sessions over Zoom. Well, so what about keep, two, you, are you going to say have you, have you all got two jobs? I've got two jobs. You're well, be- I, you know, I've been I've been promised good ventilation and that kind of thing. I'll keep you. Keep I'll keep you posted. We actually, it's been interesting. We may come back to this on five in the eye because I'll be I will be out and about on my travels in the next couple of weeks. Keep so I want to let you know. I want to let you know what the post COVID world is. Keep that mask on and the windows open. Maybe like. Live in the eye. Story number four this week is about uh, the European Union. The way it was reported um, in papers like the Daily Express was, uh, I I guess, in terms of outrage. But uh, the Guardian's a little bit kind of uh, more reflective about it. They say that the EU is preparing to act against the disproportionate amount of British television and film content shown in Europe in the wake of Brexit. And um, 
the, the, the reality is that a lot of countries in Europe do have a, a fairly large degree of British content. And the, the EU, in its wisdom, um, it has its quotas for terrestrial TV and saying that European content should make up 30% of the titles also on the video on demand platforms like Netflix and Amazon. Now, some people might say, well, this is classic kind of bureaucratic busybody stuff. Um, and surely it's up to people what they want to watch. And if people want to watch British TV, even if they're in France or Portugal or Germany, well, they should be able to watch it. What do you think, Michael? You know, you've got to say, who's reporting this, Phil? Is this the European Union getting released? Or is this the, Brit the British getting released? And it's the European community, the EU, they're letting it be known. And I think they're just kind of rubbing it, rubbing it, rubbing it in that we've had enough of Britain. We're moving on. And they have, you know, they've moved on. In fact, in some ways, Britain Leave has been good for the EU concept. They're the more, the more solid. And this this is this is a bit of a Trump move, playing to the base. <laughs> In fact, they've had enough of Britain, but we will have we will have less of Britain. You know, particularly when you got, you got France is coming up to is going to be the um, uh, the head of head of the European Community for the next six months. So I can see Britain going to have no chance in terms of cultural input to Britain because enough of them. More I mean, our hope surely was that you know after after Brexit, although we might not have the same close trading relationship that we had with the EU before, our so-called soft power would continue, and our cultural influence would be critical to this. In other words, episodes of Downton Abbey and Only Fools and Horses, or whatever it is that um, subtly conveys British values to the world, is this under threat, Michael? Do you think? <laughs> That's a rhetorical question, Phil. You know, you know, it, it also, the French have always been jealous of that. You know, there's no, there's no French equivalent. So, no, it's, it's, of course, it's going to be a way, the way out. If they can get, if they can attack our sausages, they're gonna, they're gonna attack down and down. That'd be no question. I think we brought it on ourselves. We brought it on ourselves because you know, this we're, we're free to trade with the world. Global Britain, you know, good on them. You know the thing I find really sad about this. This, this—it's five years on now, Phil. Five years, can you believe? And it's still divisive. I was having a Zoom dinner with some friends the other day, and they're still as angry because I'm—you know—I'm I'm on that get over it and get on with it. Mm. I'm in that grade, but these people are still angry. Well, they're, they're kind of remote, Ramona Central, are they? They, oh, they, they. Not, they're steady now. They're my mates. They're not remote. They, they are. They are reasonable people, looking yeah. at the, for the good of the country. So, the, 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 well, the, it's it, it, interesting because there was a poll this week that said um, that now, if you ask people, should we have left? Um, there's a clear majority that says we shouldn't. But if you ask people, would they vote to rejoin? There's only a tiny margin. In fact, it's like 5149 oh. in favor of rejoining, which seems eerily similar to the stalemate that we had uh, the, the last time around. So, yeah, so yeah, nothing much nothing much has changed, I feel. We're you know, still completely divided along those lines. There, there was a report in the Times about Boston. And Boston was 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 UKIP central. This is in Lincolnshire, isn't it, Boston? Yeah, because yeah. they were all against all these uh, Romanian and Polish potato and cabbage pickers. And they, they, the times went back there, and it's the, the, the sound, the, the, the town sounds dead. 
Mm. It's lost its heart. But there were people there, happy it happened. Happy to live in this, literally, we're probably a quarter of our vegetables probably come from Boston. But they were happy with, with, with the decay that is set in now because they can't get the workers to come and pick the pick the stuff. But they're happy to 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 be free, free of um, free to see the vegetables rot in the fields. Yeah, just, well, you know, I I would say that's a pretty miserable kind of outlook on outlook on life in my view. You know, but, so um, there was people were voting. Oh, I know we're digging up the Brexit thing. People. Knew the, the economic consequences and were not interested, irrelevant. Mm-hmm. They wanted this freedom. Well, we got freedom. Look at us, we're, we're happy. Yep. Well, let's see where the freedom takes us in the next year or two. We'll be covering it right here on Five in the Eye. But I think for now, it's time to move on to our final story of the week. Five in the Eye. And this is this is this is pure pure nonsense. It's when you have your jab. A lot of people don't feel too good, myself included, the day after. But the folks on TikTok have found a way to get over that feeling bad the day after. And it's as simple as this. You do a windmill. In the arm that you got the jab, you wave it about like a windmill. Now, Phil, I can assure you that this is, having consulted some of the finest minds in... um, in epidemiology (laughs) and vaccination. This is nonsense. It's in the same box as, um, did I tell you about elephant powder? No, what's what's that? Is that what you take? No, no, it's it's to keep elephants out from around the house. Ah, right, I see. So I use, I I spread it around, I've got it around the front and the back here. I've never seen the elephants. And, and and lo and behold, lo and behold, you're free. You're free of elephants, are you? Free of elephants. Never had any trouble. So so, so 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 it worked. Un, unlike unlike someone in Thailand, actually, we saw this week who who had an elephant barge into their into their house through the through the wall. That was a story we were considering for five in the eye. You just gave me a chance to slip it in there, Michael. Thank you, that film. You obviously have the elephant powder. You know, if you believe that, you believe that waving your arm around after the jab makes sure the next day you're not going to have a problem. You I mean, know, I think I think it's fair to say that it's mainly youngsters who uh, who've embraced this, isn't it? Because it's like the TikTok TikTok generation, and they think that you know, yeah, you get a pain in your arm after the after the jab, you do a bit of windmilling, you'll be you'll be you'll fine. Be as you as you say, not much scientific basis for it. Although some experts commenting in the Guardian did advise it could have a placebo effect. So I, I suppose if it if it did, if you believed effect. if you believed that the windmill meant your arm wasn't going to hurt and, and then maybe your arm didn't hurt so much well i suppose there's no harm in it is there there's no I mean, at least the, the, at least the kids aren't in no bleach like donald trump or anything like that are they you trying to talk over my joke there phil sorry michael there's no arm in it <laughs> oh you know, it, it, perhaps, you know to your point you know you put it very eloquently the placebo effect if it makes you feel better you know who am i my windmill away, my good friend. If it, if, if, it, if it eases the pain or the apparent pain, then move on. Well, keep on move. Keep on moving. Keep on moving. Five in the eye. Well, that's it for another week on Five in the Eye. If we've given you any kind of ache, 
headache, or whatever, we apologise. You could try just doing some windmills. And we'll all feel, all feel a little bit better. Seriously, though, we hope you've enjoyed episode 0311 and will join us again at the same time next week. If you want to get in touch in the meantime, please visit the Five in the Eye Facebook page. For now, I'm Phil Woodford and I'd like to wish you a great week ahead. And it's me, Michael Hudger, is saying, if you have been, thanks for listening. That's this week's news. Pop neatly in a box. Put out for recycling. I'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?